The name Emmanuel means God with us. And we've been journeying through this series uh, as we started in December about Emmanuel and looking at Emmanuel in the Old Testament. And now we're looking at Emmanuel in the tabernacle. And we've been looking at a couple of different items. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the candlestick and this item that shone light into the holy place. But I want to just draw our attention back to the whole reason why we're looking at this series on the tabernacle. It's because of this verse in Exodus chapter 25 that says... Let have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. This amazing opportunity that we have that the living God would dwell with us and in us. It's something extraordinary. It's something that has not been seen before, um, that the living God would want to actually be with us. And we have this privilege right now in this time of the New Testament, post-death and resurrection of Jesus, where the living God actually dwells inside of us. But for the children of Israel at that time, they were told that they need to make this tabernacle so that God's presence can indwell that tabernacle so that he could be with his people. And as we see here in Exodus chapter 29, you can see from the highlighted sections here over and over again, the Lord is telling Moses that he wants to meet with his people. He wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be close to his people. He wants to live with his people. And so as we're studying this uh, in this series about the tabernacle, there's a lot of different things that we could look at, which we don't have time to. And I encourage you in your life groups or even uh, at home on your own is to study through some of the other things that are in the tabernacle. We're primarily looking at six different things in the tabernacle. The first thing was the altar burnt offering, which is what we looked at last week, uh, two weeks ago. We looked at this altar burnt offering, which reflects uh, the atonement of Jesus as the, uh, one of the uh, people of Israel would come to the tabernacle tabernacle they would come here to this altar burnt offering lay their hands upon the animal sacrifice confess their sins and that animal would be killed and slain right here as an atonement for their sins pointing forward to what Jesus would do on the cross of Calvary and atoning for our sins uh, that he would take the sin of the whole world upon him and he died so that we might have life without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins and this beautiful picture that we see here in the altar of Jesus. And last week we looked at the second item here, which is uh, uh, called the laver or the wash basin. And it's a place where the priests would uh, wash and cleanse themselves. The first time when uh, the tabernacle was dedicated, the priests washed themselves completely. But after that, they only had to wash their hands and their feet. And we looked at a, a couple of different things that that signifies, particularly the death and resurrection of Jesus and how we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. And I want to encourage you again, as we have a baptism coming up in April, if you've never taken that step of baptism to come to the classes that we're going to be having to explore what it means to be water baptized and make that declaration of faith and confession in Jesus. If you've already taken baptism before, I want to encourage you not just to let your baptism be an experience that you had years and years ago, but for you to live out your baptism on a daily basis. As we shared last week, how this uh, wash basin speaks about identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus, going from death to life. As we talked about, even in this whole tabernacle, we're going from here, death all the way to the end, life and life in all of its abundance in the most holy place. We 
we also can identify with Jesus' death and resurrection because of our water baptism. So don't let baptism be an experience that you had just years and years ago for those that have already taken baptism, but let your baptism be something that you live out on a daily basis, where you put to death the sinful deeds of the body, as some of the verses that Samuel was uh, quoting for us in Romans 8, and live a new life in Christ. You come up out of the water, that's newness of life. And so similarly for us, we get this opportunity where we can put to death the sinful nature and we can put on Jesus. That is living out your water baptism on a daily basis. And I want to encourage you to do that. Live out your baptism. Let that be a daily experience where the old nature is put to death and the newness of Christ is put on. As we recognize when we are baptized, when we go down into the water, we die to that sinful nature. We come out of the water in newness of life. Then when you come into the next section, this is called the holy place. And only the priests could actually come into this holy place. And you might be thinking, all right, I'm done with the tabernacle. I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I'm not, you know, one of those things. I don't need to worry about anything here. Well, guess what? In the New Testament time, the word of God says that we are all priests unto the Lord. It's called the priesthood of all believers. We're actually all kings to the Lord too, but that's a a story for another day. Okay. But we are all priests to the Lord. So we have this access right now to come into this holy place. And there are a few different items that are here, but the item that we're going to focus on today is the candlestick. And you'll see here that there's bread and there's the altar, the table is called the bread of the presence, the altar of incense, which we're going to talk about as well a little bit later on about prayer and then we get into the most holy places where the ark of the covenant is and we'll conclude our series when we talk about that and so this this picture of the tabernacle i just want us to to remember what this is actually talking about it's talking about jesus all of this all of this portrays and looks towards jesus as the true tabernacle as we see in john chapter one the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us or this word dwelling is that he made or he tabernacled with us And so Jesus lived amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. So this depicts Jesus, our true tabernacle. And we see all these different items point forward to Jesus. We'll see how the candlestick points forward to Jesus as well. But it also reflects our spiritual journey. And I don't want us to lose the bigger picture in this. As we go from Sunday to Sunday and as you study from week to week, I don't want you to lose the bigger picture that this is about our spiritual journey. That it starts over here at this altar and it ends over there in the most holy place. It starts over here where there's death and ends over there in newness of life as we talked about how this is also a picture of Eden where the outer court to this area here talks about just the area of Eden the holy place here can speak of the garden of Eden and the most holy place the most significant thing in the garden of Eden was the tree of life and they were banished Adam and Eve were banished from the garden of Eden they couldn't have access to the tree of life because of their sin But now in eternity, we have access to eat of the tree of life again because of what Jesus has done for us. And the third one is about eternity, but we're not going to get into that. That's a whole nother, another story to talk about when we talk about the tabernacle. But Jesus came, he dwelt, dwelt among us. And so he revealed the beauty of the tabernacle to us as he tabernacled with us. So today we're going to look a little bit at this candlestick. And the candlestick is a unique uh, item in the tabernacle because it gave light to all the items that were there in the holy place. And so I'm going to just talk about a few different things about the candlestick really quickly this morning. The first thing is this, is that the candlestick represents Jesus as the light of the world. As we talked about, all of these items point forward towards Jesus. And the candlestick in particular, because it shines a light, points forward to Jesus as 
the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus, it's one of these, what's called the I am statements of Jesus. And he makes this I am statement and he says here, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I want to draw your attention to that last phrase there. It's the light that leads to what? Life. If you've been following with us, and if you've missed a couple of Sundays, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first message and the second message because they're all tied together. It's the light that leads towards life. And remember, we're talking about finally ending up here where there is life and life more abundantly. We're going from death to life. And Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light that leads to life. Friends, if we want to experience what Jesus talks about in terms of abundance of life, we need to have the light of Jesus shining in us and also shining through us. And so this candlestick represents Jesus as the light of the world. Not only that, the candlestick also represents us as the church. The candlestick portrays the church who is called to shine. We as the church, now there's the the big C church, which represents the universal church. There's also the little C church, and let's call it for our context here, Unionville Alliance Church. If you call Unionville Alliance Church your home, if if you're part of this community, I want to encourage you to come out to our U huddle that's happening in a couple of weeks. We can't have anyone on the sidelines. If we're to accomplish the mission that God has given to us, if we're going to uh, do what God is calling us to do, each and every person needs to be involved. And so I'd love to see everyone there at our U huddle. It'll only be about 45 minutes uh, on, on March 17th. Come and just hear what's going on and how you can be a part of the local church. The candlestick is meant to shine. The local church is meant to shine. In Revelation chapter 1, before the messages to the seven churches, we get a little glimpse of what the candlestick was. We see Jesus in chapter 1 walking in the midst of various candlesticks. And just the last part of this verse says, and the seven lampstands or candlesticks, it's just a different word that's used. Sometimes you'll see the word candlestick used there. Sometimes you'll see the word lampstand, depending on the translation you're using. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So these lampstands or these candlesticks represent the church. And so we are the church, as we just sang today. We're going to sing that song again at the end of the service. We are the church, and we need to shine the light of Jesus. As the light of Jesus shines in our hearts, we are in turn to shine that light to others. The goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the mercies of God, God in all of his fullness seen on Calvary, we are to shine that light to others so that they might see the glory of God revealed and shown through us the church. That's a tall task, right? But it's what the Lord asks us to do in Matthew chapter five as part of the the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells his followers, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. What we do as to, to shine the light to others is to shine the glory of God to others. It's to shine the kindness of God to others. The good works that we do, the things that we do in obedience to the Lord and following Jesus, it is a light to shine towards others. And so the candlestick gives light in the holy place. But if you look at the tabernacle as a whole, there's actually different lights in different places. If you look at the the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place, there's actually three different types of light. 
Here in this, in this place, in the, in the outer court here, the light that was there was just the natural light. It was the sunlight. There wasn't any covering that was over it, like the holy place has a covering over it, but in this place, there was no covering that was over it. And so the light that they had is just the sunlight. And it speaks to us of the natural revelation that God gives to all of us. In Romans 1, it talks about that, how the beauty of creation speaks in the natural light that God gives to us. God reveals his will and his plan to us. It's the way that in our consciences, we understand that murder is wrong, stealing is wrong, lying is wrong. How do we know all of that? It's the natural light that shines to all humanity. It's the way that God works in our consciences and convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the way that God works in us and reveals these natural things. But then you come into the holy place, and because it's covered, there's no natural sunlight that's there. The light that's in the holy place is given by the candlestick. And it represents the light that the church gives It represents the light that we give out to others. And as we gather together as a community of followers of Jesus, as we come and as we read the word of God, as we study the word of God, we understand things that are a little bit more, let's call it difficult to do. You might say, don't kill anyone. I got that. No problem. I won't kill anybody. But if somebody slaps me on the one cheek, what does the light of the candlestick reveal and illuminate to us as followers of Jesus as part of the church to do? What are we supposed to do? Turn the other cheek, right? The people out here in the, in the outer court, the natural sunlight, the, the natural light that shines to people, that, that's foreign to them. They won't understand that. They know don't kill. That's good. They know don't steal. That's the natural understanding. That's what is the conviction in the conscience. But come into the holy place and the light of the church that shines to say not only do we love our friends, but we also love our enemies, Now the light of the church shines, the word of God, the beauty of the church shines forth to see, do I want to be part of the church? Look at the beauty of the church. Look at the beauty of Jesus, that the followers of Jesus would live self-sacrificial lives, would lay down their lives to follow Jesus and obey the word of God. There are things that that are part of the Sermon on the Mount, things that are part of the teachings of Jesus that are foreign and strange to the outside world. How we're supposed to humble ourselves in order to be great in the kingdom of God. It's the upside down nature of God's kingdom. That's a different kind of light that God shines into our hearts to reveal to us the kingdom of God, the glory of God, the way to follow Jesus. But there's one more kind of light and that's when you get into the most holy place. That's the the light of what's called the, the Shekinah glory of God. Even though that place was all covered, It was all covered with all sorts of cloth that you couldn't see anything inside there. But there was light inside the most holy place. And it didn't come from a natural sunlight and it didn't come from the candlestick. It came from the very fact that the presence of God dwelled there. As we sang that song, Jesus be the center, we had just the, the Ark of the Covenant illuminated. Because there was this supernatural glory of God that was there. And the word of God says that when Moses would come into the, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, that God would speak to him from between the cherubims. God would speak to him and tell him what the will of God and what the word of God was for the people of God. And when we come into that most holy place as part of the church, then it's things that God might speak to us individually and uh, intentionally and purposefully for our lives. Maybe it's, maybe you hear the word of the Lord coming and speaking to you. I'm calling you to Thailand. It's not something you might hear out here with the natural revelation. It's not something you might read in the word of God. 
in the holy place, but it's something that as we walk with Jesus and as we have a closer life with God, God asks us and reveals to us his will and then desires for us to obey. Maybe it's something that he asks us to do that is, is sacrificial. That's hard. Maybe he comes and tells us as we're thinking about spiritual disciplines, I want you to fast one day in the week. You might not find that exact instruction in the word of God. Maybe so. It says to fast two times in the week. The Pharisees did that. Whatever the Lord might be speaking to you, if it's something personal and intimate, that's, that's being there in the most holy place. As we draw closer to Jesus, the light shines deeper and deeper. The word of God becomes clearer and clearer. Does that make sense? We're coming here from death to life. We're moving along in this spiritual journey and the light of Jesus is shining in our hearts and we as the church is, are also shining and we need God to shine in us and speak to us his word. What is God speaking to you? Where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you out here in the outer court? And it's just, yeah, I know what the 10 commandments are. Or I know what, you know, like don't kill, don't steal, you know, don't do those things. Or are, are you a little bit more here where you're becoming more and more like Jesus, that your, your character is being changed and you're able to, to, we're able to humble ourselves when we detect pride that's in us. We're able to see things that in response to the word of God to put off the old man and put on Jesus or can we come even into the most holy place where God speaks to us even deeper things even things more difficult maybe to do things to respond to so that his kingdom can come here on earth as it is in heaven maybe you need to go and visit the envision desk after the service today maybe you need to inquire about what does it mean for me to actually do the will of God what does it look like for me to be part of God's kingdom and respond to his will and purpose in my life what does that look like for me and for my family to respond to God's calling? Well, let's come into the holy place where we hear the voice of the Lord speaking personally and individually and experience the Shekinah glory of God, the intimacy of knowing Jesus as he's the center of our life. The candlestick reveals as well how the church is formed through trials. This candlestick was actually formed of one piece of gold. They had to take one piece of gold. It was one talent in weight. And they had to take that one piece of gold and they had to bang it. They had to beat it. They had to do all sorts of things in order to form it into this beautiful candlestick. It was, it was a, a tough and a delicate process. Make a, a lampstand of pure hammered gold. And it speaks to us of two things. One, first of all, the sufferings of Jesus and how Jesus was beaten and he suffered and he died on Calvary for you and for me because the candlestick points towards Jesus as the light of the world. But the candlestick also represents the church. And it talks about how we as well, we go through trials and sufferings and difficulties as well as part of the church in order to form us into the people that God wants us to be. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 6 and 7, I won't read all the verses, it's there, but it talks about the trial of our faith, how we go through the fire, and how our faith is like gold that is refined and tried and made pure through the trials and difficulties that we go through. It's not an easy process, but it's an important process. And so if we are part of the church, if we are part of this being formed into this candlestick, being formed into this beautiful object that God wants us to be like, well, it's a hammering and it's a beating. Has anyone felt like that? You've gone through that in your life? Gone through trials, gone through hammerings, gone through beatings, gone through difficult times to be part of the church. And let me tell you this just very openly and very sincerely, as, as sincerely as I can as, as a local church pastor. And if you call Unionville Alliance Church your home, me as your pastor, church is messy. Church is difficult. 
Church is hurtful. There might be things and situations and circumstances that you come into to be part of a community of believers that might let you down, that might disappoint you, that might even hurt you. Let me tell you, the response is not to step back, but to step in. The response is not to run away from that, but to run to Jesus. Because we are not a perfect place. We are not the best church. I hope we're not the worst one. (laughs) But we are a hospital for sick people. You don't walk into the hospital and say, man, those doctors, they're terrible. Look at all these sick people in the hospital. If these doctors were any good, there wouldn't be any sick people in this hospital. Do we say that? No. In the same way, when we come to a body of believers, when we come to a local assembly, we're all sinners looking to be like Jesus, striving to be like Jesus, seeking to be like Jesus. And that means you might be rubbed the wrong way. Something might be said that might hurt you. Let me tell you, if I've ever said anything that's been hurtful or has hurt you or disappointed you, please come and tell me. I would love to apologize to you. Sometimes I don't even know. I'm here. My door is always open. If something happens in church that's hurtful to you or, or something that's difficult, I'm, I'm here. I would love for you to just come and speak to me. Church is messy sometimes. Church is difficult. And in the hammering and in the beating and in the difficulty, God is forming something beautiful and amazing. He's forming this beautiful and amazing candlestick. In the process, it might not look so beautiful, but the end result is beautiful. I'll get to that at the end of the message. You'll see how beautiful it is. But this is part of being part of a local body of believers. It's the same thing as your family. Anyone here have the perfect family? Any uncles and aunts get you upset? Right, brothers and sisters? It's part of being part of a community. But the beautiful part of being part of the church community is that God is working. God is doing something beautiful. He is beating. He is forming us. He is shaping us into the very image and glory of God. The candlestick illuminates how we abide in Jesus. The candlestick in this holy place here, it illuminates how we abide in Jesus. There are three items in this holy place. The bread of the presence, the altar of incense, and you have the candlestick. Okay? It says, make it with six branches going from from the center stem on each side. There's a, there's a shaft in the middle, and then there's these branches that come, come alongside. And if you look in John, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. The candlestick talks about and represents how we abide in the vine, how we abide in Jesus. If we remain in Jesus, then we can bring forth fruit to the Lord. And so this this abiding in Jesus is so critical. How do we abide in Jesus? Well, tell me, what does the candlestick illuminate? It illuminates the bread of the presence, which speaks of the word of God, which we'll talk about next week. And it illuminates the altar of incense, which speaks about prayer, which we'll talk about in two weeks time. These two things are the ways, are two primary ways, not only, but primary ways in which we abide in Jesus. And the candlestick illuminates that in the holy place. Through prayer and through scripture reading, through studying God's word, through digging down into God's word, to abiding in God's word. We need to abide in prayer, to pray continually, and we need to abide in God's word. I want to invite you to join me on on Tuesday evening. We're going to pray a prayer of lament. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer of lament before. We're just going to lament before Emmanuel. If you're going through a hard time, a difficult time, this is the perfect kind of prayer meeting for you to come to. 
Because it's not going to be one, let's just praise the Lord, even though we're going through hard times. No, we're just going to lament before the Lord. Prayer, in all of its diversity, in all of its various faculties, in all of the different things, if you joined us for 40 days of prayer, you would have seen various ways in which we can pray and commune with the Lord and connect with the Lord. In all of those beautiful ways of praying, we abide in Jesus. The candlestick illuminates that in the holy place. To abide in the vine. We are the branches. Jesus is that center stem that we abide in. It illuminates the bread of the presence, the beauty of God's word. And as we abide in the word of God, we root ourselves, we ground ourselves in the truth of Jesus. The oil in the candlestick foreshadows the Holy Spirit who empowers the church. This is beautiful because in the candlestick, there was oil at the top there, and the priest had to make sure that oil was filled all the time. And that oil speaks of anointing. In the Old Testament, they would take oil to anoint the king. They would take oil to anoint various uh, parts of the, the tabernacle as well. And it speaks of the anointing. And through the anointing, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do what the church is called to do. As we sang that song just uh, uh, at the beginning, and we're going to sing it again after the service about build your kingdom here. We are your church. Send us forth. We need revival. All of these things for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, G, uh, speaking about Jesus, it says this, and you know that God anointed, talking about that oil of anointing, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do because of that? Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, Emmanuel. You can see right there again. God, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Everything that Jesus did, all of his miracles, all the healings, all the words that he spoke, all the teachings that he gave, all the parables that he told, all of those things were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Friends, as part of the church, in that candlestick where the oil is put, we need and we depend on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We are sent forth by the Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit was poured out, the church was formed, and they weren't formed just to stay by itself, but they were formed and empowered to go forth, to preach the Word of God, to live out the kingdom. That's why Jesus tells us to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. How is that possible? It is possible through the empowerment of the spirit. Friends, God, if we are part of the church, if we are part of that candlestick, God wants to anoint us with the Holy Spirit and with power to go about and do good and to fulfill God's will and plan for our lives. In Isaiah 61, speaking about a prophecy about Jesus, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Do you know God has anointed you as well to bring good news to the poor? He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. Do you know God has anointed you as the church, as part of the church to bring good news, to comfort the brokenhearted? To proclaim the captives, to proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be free. This is part of the gospel. God has anointed each and every one of you as part of the church, empowered by the Spirit, sent forth with the power of the Spirit to be the church, to be followers of Jesus, to reflect the glory of God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can't do it in and of ourselves, but we can do it through the grace of God, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit.
If you go to the book of Zechariah, we read about a man named Zerubbabel and how he was building the house of God. And there came a time in Zerubbabel's life that he was very discouraged. It was hard. It was difficult. He was trying to rebuild the house of God, but it was one trial after another. It was one difficulty after another. Zerubbabel was wondering, am I going to be able to finish this? Am I going to be able to accomplish this? I'm trying to build the house of God similar to the tabernacle. I'm trying to rebuild what was broken down, trying to reestablish the presence of God. I want Emmanuel to be with us. uh, So in order for Emmanuel to be with us, in order for the presence of God to be with us, I need a house. I need a temple. And he was trying and trying, and he was getting discouraged. And then God gave Zechariah the prophet a vision. And in that vision, there was a candlestick. And in that candlestick, there were two branches on, on either side from olive trees. And he could see the oil that was being poured into the candlestick from the olive trees, a continual infilling, a continual anointing. And the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel from the prophet Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Church, God anoints us by the spirit of the living God. You are anointed by the spirit of the living God to fulfill God's will and purpose here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what God is calling us to do as the church. The candlestick burning continually depicts our need for each other. Now, this might be a little bit difficult, but do you know as part of the church, as part of a body of believers, as part of a community of faith, we need each other? Yes, we do. God God has never meant for following Jesus to be a solo act, but it's meant to be done in community and it's meant to be done together. If you read in Exodus chapter 27, I won't read all of the verses, but it talks about how the candlestick in the holy place, it needed to be burning continually. So the priests needed to go in there in the morning and check and make sure it was burning, refill the oils, trim the wicks, make sure everything was was burning because the light could not go out. In the evening, they had to go back again and they needed to check and see and make sure that it was burning. Friends, we need each other to help one another to keep burning because how many know that without the support of a community around us, it's so easy to fizzle out, to flicker out. Isn't that the truth? Skip church one Sunday, then the next Sunday, guess what? The third Sunday becomes even easier, right? Stop reading the Bible one day, and then the next day, and then guess what? The third day, even easier. Stop praying one day, and the next day, and then the third day, even easier. But when we have a community around us to encourage us, to inspire us, to push us on, to help us to go forward, That's why we have life groups, so that we can encourage one another. The Word of God says in Hebrews, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Encourage one another. Meet together. We need each other. We need the community of faith around us. And we are all called to be priests. Remember, I said that at the beginning. We are all called to be priests, so you need to encourage one another. There's a story of a, of a pastor that in one person in his congregation he hadn't seen in a long time. So he went to visit his house. And as he came to his house, he didn't know what to say. He wasn't sure how to approach the subject. So he just sat there in his living room. And there was a fireplace with lots of logs that were burning in the fire. And they just sat there in silence. Pastor not saying anything. Parishioner not saying anything. The pastor went to the fireplace, opened it up, took the tongs, took one of the logs that was burning, and put it to a side. And he went in and sat back. And they both stared at the fireplace. And do you know what happened? That log that he put to a side, little by little, it started to get 
less fire, less fire, and it started to, to simmer out. And finally, it lost all of its heat. And then the pastor went and he took that log, he went back with the tongs, took that log, put it back on the fire, and it started to get hot again. And then finally at the end, the pastor said, he prayed and he said, it's time for me to go. He left and he said, and the, the parishioner said, pastor, thanks for the message. I'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> How many know that we need each other? We need the community of faith around us. We need the people around to encourage us, to inspire us, to push us on. And the candlestick to keep burning, to keep shining for Jesus. We need one another to help us. There are times when we'll be discouraged. There'll be times when we'll go through trials. There'll be times when we feel like, can I press on? And that's when the community around us supports us, strengthens us, encourages us, prays for us, is there for us. Friends, don't do this life on your own. The flowers, lastly, the flowers, the bowls, the almonds illustrate. This is all part of the candlestick. If you read, read the verses in Exodus 25, all part of the, the candlestick. Flowers, bowls, almonds as part of that. I, I can't imagine beating a, a lump of gold into an almond beating a lump of gold into a flower, right? That was greatly skilled work, but it represents the beauty of the church. It represents the beauty of the bride of Christ. I can't help but think that this candlestick sort of looks like a tree that points forward towards the tree of life, that same tree that Adam and Eve were forbidden from eating, but now in the, in the eternity to come, we're going to have the privilege to eat of the tree of life again, life in, in all of its abundance. But this represents the beauty of the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read these verses last week. Ephesians chapter 5, speaking about the bride of Christ, it, it talks about the beauty of the bride. He gave up his life for her, for the, the, the Lord gave up his life for the church to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. It's the beauty of the bride of Christ. In the book of Revelation, we see this as well. We see uh, the, the holy city coming down as the bride of Christ. And I, and I saw, John, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, this is, this is at the end. This is the culmination. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're, our goal is. This, is. this is what we're heading towards from death to life. This is the culmination. Look, God's home is now among his people. Remember, Exodus 25, the whole purpose of building the tabernacle was make, let them make me a tabernacle that I might dwell with them, that I might live with them, that I might be with them, that I might be Emmanuel with my people. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Can you follow my train of thought here? If you look at the candlestick, the candlestick represents the church. The church is the bride. The bride, according to this verse, Revelation, is the city of God. And the city of God is where God dwells. Isn't that amazing? That God calls us to be his dwelling place. The candlestick is the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the city of the living God, where Emmanuel dwells and abides forever and ever. He calls us to be part of that city. He calls us to be part of that temple. In 1 Corinthians, 
Worship team, please come. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? All of you together are the church of the living God. All of you together are the city of God. All of you together are the bride of Christ. And that the spirit of God lives in you. Don't you understand that you are the candlestick, that you are the church, that you are the bride of Christ, you are the city of the living God. You are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells within you. This is the culmination. This is the goal. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the spirit of God is poured out upon us. And now we no longer need a tabernacle like this because we are the tabernacle. We are the temple and the spirit of God dwells and lives in us. That's amazing. That's, this is not something God decided at the last minute. This is something in the very heart of God from the very foundation of the world. When he put all of this together to be able to say, I want to dwell with my people forever and ever. Please stand and let's sing to the Lord.